If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 1, beginning with the 18th verse. Matthew chapter 1, beginning with the 18th verse. You've heard of the story I tell of two cities. This, uh, as we look at this story this morning, uh, I want us to look at two people that we often don't focus on. Uh, kind of the tale of two men. One man had multiple vacation homes. He had several palaces and mansions. Uh, he was regarded as the greatest builder of his day. Uh, he wasn't only just the top of his country, but he was the leader of his countrymen. He had enormous wealth. Uh, he, um, had, he was able to hobnob with the rich and famous, uh, those who were in power, Cleopatra, Mark Anthony, Caesar Augustus, He knew them all well. They came to his home. He went to their home. Uh, Everyone knew his name. He had great political power. And he also uh, was one that uh, even took on the title Herod the Great. Now, there's another man that we don't have as much information about. By the looks of his sacrifices and uh, from his presumed occupation... Uh, we don't think that he had very much money at all. Uh, not anybody probably knew who he was outside of his relatives from his own personal village. He actually found himself engaged to a peasant girl who was pregnant out of wedlock. He had to move, pick up and move to a foreign country of which he knew very little, if anything, about. He was a vagabond his first couple of years uh, after his marriage. And it looks like he was the ultimate sucker. I mean, he just kind of got taken, uh, so to speak, advantage of. And as we look at these two men, it's very obvious who most of us would say, hey, if I had to pick one, this is the one I would pick. King Herod or Joseph? Which one are you? Who do you aspire to be? Herod, by all accounts, was an unrighteous man, full of greed, full of envy, full of a spirit that didn't matter what it took to get where he wanted to go, didn't matter who he had to climb over, whether it be relative, friend, or countryman. He certainly lived in fear, always paranoid that someone would take his throne or would take some of his power. He was consumed with himself, and he was destructive. He sought to destroy any threats, even presumed threats, that didn't really exist. Joseph, on the other hand, is called a righteous man in Scripture. He was a man of much courage, a man who sacrificed much and was obedient in a situation that most of us would have shaken from. Let's read the story here in Matthew chapter 1, beginning with verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus came about. His mother, Mary, was pledged to be married to Joseph. Now, that word pledge right there is uh, betrothed, and it's a very significant word. It's A lot of times, maybe even your translation used the term engaged, but it's much more significant than engagement. Matter of fact, the only way that you could uh, get out of a betrothal commitment would be through a divorce. You literally had to be divorced. That's the only way that you could get out of it. What happened there is usually marriages very often in that day and age were arranged. And so two families would come together, 
And uh, usually the, the man would be a little older and the, the girl would be oftentimes, many scholars believe that Mary was in her early teens and she was betrothed to Joseph. And what would take place at that point is a dowry, so to speak, would be paid to the father uh, because of the economic impact it might make to him. And it was also used in case something happened, God forbid, they went through some kind of divorce and the woman was able to take care of herself. Uh, the father would usually retain at least part of that, if not all of that. And so that's already transpired. That's already taken place. The only thing that's not occurred is uh, they, they go through a year period of waiting before they would actually go and live together and come together uh, in sexual union. And so that's where we pick up here. That's what's occurred. And that's the, the relationship between Mary and Joseph. And the Bible clearly says, Matthew being a Jewish writer, wanting the Jewish audience to understand that this is the Messiah, the promised one, that before they came together, she was found with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. I want you to think about what this took of Joseph. Think about the impact on Joseph's life uh, that occurs here and how hard this must have been for him. But he is faithful. He considers. He pensively uh, considers, what is it that I should do? What is it that would be best? He's always been known as a keeper, a righteous man, which means he's kept the laws of the Torah. He's observed the laws. He's observed the Sabbath. He's probably eating his kosher food. And he had nothing but a reputation. And now his betrothed wife is pregnant. He has every right to dismiss her. Matter of fact, according to Deuteronomy 22, he could have her stoned at the door of her father's very house. And many would encourage him to do it. Many would think that's what you're supposed to do in this situation. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you shall give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Here's the situation. The Jews had heard the prophecies of the Messiah who would come. And many of them thought, in a militaristic manner, He will come and He will get rid of this oppressive Roman government. And we will be able to rule. And we'll be able to have free reign once again. We will no longer be under someone else's dominion. And they looked for a man like that. But very clearly, the Scripture tells us here that Jesus' point was to come that He might save the people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet Isaiah. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. And once again, we see Matthew making this point. Even after he has taken her home, it says clearly, He had no union with her until she gave birth to a son. And he gave him the name Yeshua. Joshua. Jesus. 
And after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of the king Herod Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one born king of the Jews? We saw the star in the east. We have come to worship him. When king Herod heard this, he was disturbed in all of Jerusalem with him. All of Jerusalem is disturbed. Of course, Herod is disturbed because they've heard of this prophecy. Herod. Herod, a man who had accomplished so much, a man who had built so much. Many scholars would even go as far as to say uh, that he should have been included. Matter of fact, the ancient wonders of the world had already been established, but if they had extended it longer, he might have put three or four more ancient wonders upon the list. He built a fortress at Masada, which was amazing. amazing. He built an artificial port at Caesarea. He did a huge edifice on the top of the cave of the patriarchs of the saints. He had massive fortifications built around Jerusalem, as well as three, a three-tower entrance. At Herodium, which was an incredible feat of engineering, Herod built an artificial mountain and put a huge palace on top of it. Many scholars believe that that's what Jesus was referring to because Herod had literally taken a mound of dirt over here and he had moved it. It was pretty much a mountain. And he had moved it and then had established his, his uh, palace on top of it. It was amazing. And historians still marvel at how he did that. And that's why many, many scholars believe that when Jesus said, if you have the faith of a seed of a mountain, of mustard seed, you can move a mountain. And probably Herod's mountain was in the back. He had already done that. He had already engineered that feat. Matter of fact, the Temple Mount, of which the Muslim shrine and the Dome of the Rock still stands today, took 10,000 men 10 years just to put up the retaining wall around the temple. It was so large at that time that uh, they, they, they speculated that nearly a million Jews could come into the area of the temple that he built. Amazing feats of uh, not only architect, but simply even pulling this off. He took the temple to a whole new level, built a new temple, and, and endured many of the leadership of the Jews because of the magnificence of the temple that Herod built. Some scholars say the temple was even greater than what Solomon had built originally. It was certainly much larger. Herod, a man who hung out with Cleopatra, a man who knew Mark Anthony, a man who knew all these people who came through his palaces and admired his works, yet a man who was paranoid, a man who found himself living in fear that someone might take his kingdom to the point that he was willing to kill three of his sons, his wife, his mother-in-law, a nephew, anyone who posed a threat to him, an unrighteous man by all accounts, who sought to even take his brother's wife, a man so consumed with himself that he became destructive sought to not only destroy those around him, but even a prophecy of which, a faith of which he did not worship or acknowledge, he sought to destroy. And so we see the, the killing of the baby boys two and under in the town of Bethlehem because Herod was so mad that the Magi had not come back. A man who start, sought to destroy the work of God, the person of Christ. 
What about you this morning? As you look at the life of Herod, most of us say, well, I'm not like him. But what is it you're willing to pay to get what you want? Herod was willing to pay anything. In contrast, we see the life of a man, Joseph. Joseph, the Bible tells us in Matthew 13 that he was a carpenter. He was a righteous man, the Scripture tells us, as we read earlier. He was a man who kept the law. He was a man who observed the Sabbath. He was a man who was honest in business. He was a man who protected his, his family and was willing to provide even if it cost him. His reputation was all that he had. But he makes a decision to give it. He was a courageous man. Certainly he must have agonized over Mary's situation. He knew that he had not had uh, sexual relationships with her. He knew it wasn't his child. And he knew that others would think, who does this child belong to? If I take the route, the easy route, I can clear my name and people will even pity me and I can go on. I can have her killed or at least I can simply put her away. And when she probably tells him at some point, I didn't have sex with anybody. This is the baby of the Holy Spirit. Can you imagine what he thought? Can you imagine what his family thought? What her family thought? Let's take a look. I have a little video that kind of gives a picture of what it must have been like for Joseph. Joseph, Mary's back. She's back. She's back. Do you know? Do you know the reason I chose you, Mary? I believed you were a woman of great virtue. I have lived my life seeking honor. Honor. Mary, so how am I to answer this? If I claim this child is mine, I will be lying. I will have broken a law laid down by God. I would never ask you to lie. If I say this child is not mine, they will ask what I want to do. And if I accuse you, There is a will for this child greater than my fear of what they may do. 
Can you imagine what that must have been like? Everybody knows. Can't hide it forever. People begin to talk. And probably Joseph had friends. Certainly he had family that said, you need to take care of this. You need to let her go. You want to send her off somewhere, that's fine. You want to stone her, you have that right. But what are you thinking? I mean, you got a job. you got a place to live here. Don't run your life on some myth. What are you thinking, Joseph? An angel speaks to, God, to Joseph in a dream. Comes to him. And he hears the message. That indeed this child is born of the Spirit. Or this child has been conceived by the Spirit. And then he goes and he tells Mary. But you know, what's interesting is we can say, well, yeah, but God spoke to him. God speaks to us as well. The question is, are we listening? Let's see what happened from that point. Mary. You shall call his name Jesus. For it is he who will save his people from the sin. And oh, Mary, God showed me. An angel came to me. I blame you. You believe me? I believe you. Your child will need a father. I will declare him as my own. People, they will not look at you the same. They will not look at us the same. You are my wife. I am your husband. That is all anyone need know. He's moving. You've never really told me of your dream. A dream? No, please. Tell me. The angel came to me. He told me the child within you had been conceived by the Holy Spirit. That I should not be afraid. Are you afraid? Yes. Are you? Yes. <laughs> Do you ever wonder when we'll know? No, no one. When he's more than just a child, will it be something he says? A look in his eyes? I wonder if I won't even be able to teach him anything. Joseph sacrificed his reputation because of the leading of the Spirit. His friends would never look at him the same. We know from the Gospel of 
John chapter 8, 40-42, that as Jesus engaged in a discussion with the religious authorities, that they indicated that He was an illegitimate child. Something Jesus must have seen as He grew up. As Joseph took upon that label, as Joseph took upon that position, never to be viewed the same again. You ever thought about that? You ever thought about how difficult that was for him? You ever thought about this? Jesus was fully God and fully man. The human part of him must have really been touched by his earthly father, Joseph. As he saw and as he began to understand as he grew the sacrifice that Joseph made, the sacrifice of his reputation, the sacrifice of taking someone that's not yours, not at least not biologically, and raising them. Joseph took that upon himself and he was not a rich man. He didn't have anything but his honor. And surely that influenced Jesus' human side when he saw the woman caught in adultery, when he saw the poor and the lame, when he saw the outcast. What a remarkable example he must have lived with every day and a price that Joseph paid for the remainder of his life. He could have had the marriage annulled. He could have gotten his money back. He could have had a fresh new start. But he chose to be obedient. Obedient to the point of death of his reputation. Even though it cost him, even though he became a second-class citizen, it reminds me of the Scripture in Philippians chapter 2, verse 7 and 8, that Paul is quoting about Jesus. He said, He made Himself nothing, taking for the very nature of a servant, being made in a human likeness, and being found in the appearance as man, He humbled Himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Joseph determined to be obedient, to start out his family instead of with great joy and cheer, painful, lonely, disrespected by his peers, but in honor of what he felt God was leading him to do. And look at the impact today. When we reflect back upon the characters of the Christmas story, There are a few accolades thrown Herod's way. And really, not many toward Joseph. But if we stop and think about it, we realize that God used a simple man in a very significant way when he was willing to be faithful in an area that he didn't have to be, in an area that he wasn't expected to be. The Jukes Edwards study was a study of Jonathan Edwards, one of the greatest minds of American history. He wrote volumes of books. Most of us know him by the title Sinners of the Hands of an Angry God, but also regarded even by secular philosophers as one of the greatest philosophers of American history. And they did a study. This gentleman, Wingate, did a study of his life versus another gentleman's life who grew up and was born at the same time who didn't live far apart from Jonathan Edwards. And they looked at Jonathan Edwards and what, uh, what kind of heritage, what kind of legacy he left for those who would follow him. And as they trace back the family tree to Jonathan Edwards, here's what you'll find. 
More than 100 lawyers, 30 judges, 13 college presidents, 100 or more professors, 60 physicians, over 100 clergymen, missionaries, and theological professors, 80 elected public officials, three mayors, three governors, a member of Congress, three senators, one vice president, Aaron Burr. 60 uh, have attained prominence as authors and have written over 135 books of merit, over 75 military officers, and the list goes on. A legacy that Jonathan Edwards left. Matt Jutes, who was not a God-fearing man, uh, nor did he choose to go the educational route that Jonathan Edwards took, nor did he have any respect or honor for God. 310 of his descendants died penniless. They were able to trace over 150 criminals. Seven of them were murderers. 50 or 60 of them were thieves. 50 women became prostitutes. 142 of his ancestors received financial aid from the state. What a stark difference of one man who determined to make every moment count. Of one man who could have had much greater in the line of wealth, but chose to take all that he had and to dedicate it for the glory of God. I look at another, Lottie Moon, a name that I grew up hearing a lot as a child. Matter of fact, as you give a mission offering today, part of that money would go to Lottie Moon. Lottie Moon in the mid-1800s was born, and she was raised in a fairly wealthy family. Uh, When she became 19, she went to revival where she accepted Christ. She went on to college and studied there and then went and obtained her master's and began to teach. And while teaching, she heard the story of the, the, the mission field in China. She heard a man who came and told him of the stories, and her sister committed to go, and Lottie followed after her. At age 33, she left the United States. She left her good job, her family, and followed her sister. In five months, her sister came back, but Lottie decided to stay. She began to live with the Chinese women. She began to dress like them and engage their culture, and began to see many of them come to Christ. In the early 1900s, the Boxer Rebellion And the war with Japan occurred and there was great famine and great pestilence in the land and many began to starve. She would frequently write uh, begging for money, uh, but it was also during the time many of the Americans were going through the Great Depression and nothing was to come or very little was to come. Later on they found her giving what little that she had to the point that she got down to 50 pounds. They put her on a boat And she died on Christmas Eve before they could get her back. Many would look and say, what a waste. But in the economy of God, He would say, what a difference. What glory has been brought to His name through someone who has sacrificed everything for the glory of God. What about you this morning? Who are you? Do you relate with Herod, identify with Herod, living in fear, self-consumed, destructive behavior? Or do you find yourself like Joseph, a man who seeks to be righteous, who has the courage to make the hard choice, even when it cost him sacrificially? He was obedient to the point of the death of his reputation. What is... God saying to you this Christmas Eve? 
Maybe you've never come to know Him in a real and personal way. I want to invite you to come and experience the life-changing grace of Jesus Christ. Maybe you do know Him, but you need to recommit your life. You need to make that pact with God to say, God, in 07, I want to become a righteous man, a righteous woman. I want to do whatever it takes to bring you glory. If that means sacrifice, if that means taking a step of courage, Lord, I want to be obedient.